Good morning. Welcome to All Souls Fellowship. My name is Mike St. Dennis. I'm the associate pastor here at All Souls. It's good to be with you. If you're new and visiting with us, uh, welcome. Uh, we are an enthusiastic bunch, especially so this morning. Uh, it's great to have all the kids with us as we worship together to be formed by these practices of, of coming under scripture, of singing God's praise, of confessing our needs and God's sufficiency to meet those needs, and even coming to the table to fellowship uh, and practice the reality of God's goodness and presence with us. Again, if you're visiting, we're so glad that you are here. Uh, over the last six weeks, we've been in a study on the topic of simplicity, looking at simplicity as both a, a, an end in and of itself, a, a goal to become refined, to become more human, uh, to simplify and let the, the weights and the cares of the world that drag us down, let some of those things go that we can care about the right things. And then also simplicity as a practice, orienting ourselves back to God as the source of all that we need. And because of that, we can let other things go. What we've seen in this study is that there are certain kinds of abundance that do something to us, whether that's an abundance of money, possessions, desires, words, or time engaged with technology, these things have a kind of power and influence over us, an influence that can draw us away from the heart of God, away from the rest of God, away from the peace of God, away from the joy of God. And so we want to simplify that we might more deeply root ourselves in him. While that study is over, over the next few weeks, we're going to turn our attention to sort of the same topic and theme, but applied to what lies ahead of us. In the next few weeks, the holiday season will be upon us and the year will wrap up in the end of quarters. And that brings a whole bunch of stuff to do, to plan our holiday schedule, our time with family and with friends, uh, to, to think about our shopping and how we want to gift of ourselves to others that we love, even to our communities, to reflect over the last year and then also to plan for the future. And as we look towards all those activities, we want to ask, how do the things that we've learned in simplicity, how does the heart of the gospel shape our approach to these things? If you've never asked yourself the question, how does the reality of God's gift to us in Jesus apply to your Christmas shopping list, I want to encourage you to do that over the next few weeks. And not just to do that on your own, because your answers will be biased, but to do that in a community together. Also, as you plan your travel and your vacations, and certainly when we look farther down the road from that. You see, practicing the way of Jesus for the renewal of all things, pursuing human flourishing and the fullness of life that God has for us, these things come when we abide in the gracious heart of God, and we participate in his call to join him in renewal. We all come to the faith because we experience God's goodness in a certain way. We stay in the faith because he sustains us in that, giving of himself generously to us time and time again. And one of the ways that we can experience even more of who he is, the riches and the treasure of God's redemptive work in the world, is by joining in alongside of it. And so we want to ask those questions. How can we partner with him? If we don't take this time to apply what we have learned, to, to apply the gospel to our lives, we will fall back into the same 
old patterns. Every year, I clean my garage. Or more accurately, every year, about four times a year, I hire a teenager to come clean my garage. I get frustrated with the amount of clutter that's there, the tools that are everywhere, things in that garage that I didn't know that I had. My life becomes so much less than simplistic. And the joy and peace of the gospel is replaced with the tyranny, the anger, the frustration, the concerns of the world. And so here in the next few weeks, Julian will once again come over and under my direction, throw out the Amazon boxes and put the tools away. But until there's a new strategy, a new approach, until I apply the things that I've learned to tread a new path forward, I'm likely to just fall into the same patterns and routines. Like cleaning up the garage, our study in simplicity helps us to root our desires, our comfort, our pleasure, our hope, and our security in Jesus so that we can let go of other things that vie for our attention and that place in our heart that only he can hold. And in the weeks ahead, all the things that we will face, just like any new day, you have a mountain high experience and then you come back down to earth and the realities of the world seep back in. And it's our goal and God's calling for us to abide even more deeply in the life of Jesus, to practice his way, and to participate in his mission. The application point for us today is to talk about our concern for for wealth, for possessions, uh, for relationships, for experiences, whatever are the things that you treasure, that your heart easily chases after, whatever constitute your sense of wealth and wholeness to see how how Jesus challenges these things. And then more than that, to hear how the gospel reminds us that God is at work, that the riches riches of God are being given to us, and we can abide and remain in that. Tuesday night, after our kids are tucked in bed, three bags of candy will find their new home on top of our refrigerator. And over the next few weeks, they'll be siphoned off little by little or a lot by a lot until sometime in December, the untouched Necco wafers and the unwanted off flavors of the Tootsie Rolls get thrown away. And in this season with the candy there on the shelf, it will become a source of great joy, but also intense conflict. Our kids will lose sight and maybe even the adults that candy is not where life is found. (laughs) And when the kids put up a fight that they just need a little bit more, I'll remind them what you really need is this house I provide for you. (laughs) And what you really need is for us to, to feed you and clothe you and do these kinds of things. You see, whatever we have, wealth, possessions, experiences, all these kinds of things, uh, they take us away from simplicity because of this this deep truth that that we all know, that our heart is after more. As Augustine said, the heart is 
is full of endless restlessness until our hearts find rest in God. We are made for the infinite love and, and beauty and goodness and justice of God. And instead, we just get a little snack, a little taste, things constantly prying us away. Years ago, John Rockefeller, who was one of the richest men to ever live, was asked, how much money is enough? To which he replied, just a little bit more. Me and my kids will end up at a grocery store or a gas station and they'll see some candy and they'll say, Dad, can we get that? And I'll say, but what, what about what we have back at home? We'll finish dessert at a time and, and then because dessert and candy are, I guess, in different categories, <laughs> they'll say, well, we had our dessert, but what about the candy? The gospel reminds us it shows us our heart that, that we are always after just a little bit more because we are made for so much more. And when we settle for just a little bit more, we settle for something other than the life of God, the fullness of God, the fullness of what he has created us for. And so what we'll see in this passage today is that just a little bit more is never enough. But God has given us immense riches in Jesus. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 12, or you can follow along in the worship guide as I read for us from Luke chapter 12, verses 15 through 21. Then Jesus said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our passage begins with a strong and emphatic warning from Jesus, speaking to the crowds around him, saying, watch out, be on your guard. And it's an active uh, command here to keep watch, be keeping watch, take note, take stock. Keep watch over all kinds of greed, for life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. It's important to note that Jesus doesn't give warnings like this to every other sin. You see, when you've taken something that is not yours, like many of you will do when you dip into that candy bag this week, you will know exactly what you're doing. 
When you lie and you tell a half truth, when you intentionally go to deceive, you know exactly what you are doing. When you practice unfaithfulness in relationships, like with a spouse, most of the time you know exactly what you're doing. But it's not this same way with greed. There's not a line in the sand that God has allowed or provided for this much for us. But when we cross that line, we enter into dangerous territory. We know with many other behaviors, but one of the features or the symptoms of greed is that you don't know it's happening. You don't know when you've fallen in to greed. We are blind to it. It sneaks up on us. It seeks to devour us like a parasite. And very few of us think that we are greedy at all or in danger. And Jesus is here to warn us to keep watch. Years ago, Tim Keller in New York City was giving a series of lectures uh, to professionals in the city on the seven deadly sins. And his wife said to him at the beginning, you know, as you give these lectures, just watch out. The week you get to greed will be the lowest of attendance. And sure enough, that's the way that it played out. The group came out and the attendance was high for wrath and for pride, things that the people knew that they wrestled with. They even showed up for the week on sloth. (laughs) But the fewest number of people came when the topic was greed. And what Keller explains is that the biggest problem we have with greed, the biggest, most challenging symptom that keeps us prisoner is that we are blind to it. We can recognize greed in others like a child asking for more candy when there's plenty at home. When someone is denying giving and generosity to other people and choosing to protect themselves and build themselves up, we can recognize it in others, but for us, it's difficult. Because money disguises itself as many different things. What research has shown is that once we have our certain basic needs met, when we have enough uh, to take some vacations, to save and put away, uh, to give and bless others, once we reach that certain point, our happiness is increasing all along the way. But in that place, somewhere between seventy dollars and $80,000, Our happiness doesn't appreciably increase after that. In fact, our anxiety to keep what we have begins to increase. God has made us surely with many needs, and and, and we have these needs to to, to save and to steward well, to be faithful to what he's given us, uh, to enjoy rest and and to have space with one another, to, to fix and meet some of these challenges and needs that we have. But there becomes a point in time where money begins to disguise itself as something else. It plays a unique role in our lives because oftentimes money is not about money. Money is opportunity. Money is security. Money is power and influence and control. Money is pleasure, status and significance. Money creates belonging. And rest, it stands for each one of these things. In other words, money for most of us is never just money. 
along with the warning that Jesus gives, he shares this parable to help us understand. There's a rich man with a farm. And he has come into an accumulation of wealth as his ground, not because of his own doing and not because he has done something wrong, but he has been more prosperous than he anticipated. And in the abundance of the crop that's there, he can't store it all. He has a problem that's not necessarily a problem. So he decides to tear down the barns that he has and build bigger ones. So he's able to store up all the grain that he has and the surplus that he now has. But is the grain and the money and the wealth just about the money? What is he really after here? Well, Jesus shows us as the man describes to himself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. That's a fact. So now the meaning, the interpretation is take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Here Jesus is quoting a famous line from the book of Ecclesiastes. And the book of Ecclesiastes that is all about chasing after every different thing we can have in this world and not finding that any of them last or can satisfy us the way that we need, the way that we are built for. And so there's sort of this giving up uh, gesture, this saying, what good is any of it anyway? Let's just eat, drink, and be merry. Let's satisfy ourselves and endure the troubles and the toils and the stresses of the world. What Jesus shows us in this man is that money has become more than just money. Take life easy. Take the anxiety and the worry off because you are secure. You have more than you need. You'll be taken care of for many years. You are okay. And his success and his wealth and his treasure becomes a source of security. It's not take it easy, enjoy the things around you because God is good and on the throne because he loves you and he has a plan for you. Instead, take it easy. I have taken care of myself. But it doesn't just become a source of security, it becomes a source of pleasure to eat, drink, and be merry, to enjoy the good life now, to indulge. And what Jesus is pointing out here is that the good life is not found in indulgences like this. It's not found in the simple pleasures of this world, but in the pleasure of who God is and how he is for us. But greed is insidious and deceptive, and he commands us to keep watch. Notice, too, in his warning, he says, keep watch against all kinds of different greed. Greed for security, greed for pleasure, greed for belonging, greed for affirmation, greed for success. Greed comes in many different forms. And so the application question for this is, what type of greed do you fall prey to? What type of greed captures your heart and your imagination? What type of greed or chasing after something or desire when you get it it brings your heart, your energy, your happiness up. And when you lose it, it wrecks you. What is your heart tied to? And then the second question is, how do you keep watch over it? 
And might I submit to you that one of the implications of this passage is that you can't keep watch on your own, that you will deceive yourself and not know it, that you need others who know you, who can work with you to see yourself. But it's not just that Jesus gives a warning against greed and the forms of greed and the deceptiveness of greed. He also encourages us to be rich towards God and others. Verse 21, this dynamic of greed to see money or success as the source of security and pleasure, this will happen to whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. What Jesus challenges in the rich fool is not his riches. He's a rich man who hasn't been called foolish yet until he indulges and allows the money and the success to become more a source of joy, a source of security. And Jesus challenges that, saying that money or possessions, they can't be the source of security and they can't be the source of joy that God has designed you for. You are a fool. And this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Who then will get what you have prepared for yourself? What Jesus is getting at here is something called the illusion of control. You see, we were created to be dependent beings in communion with a loving and perfect God, to abide and remain with him so that he might meet every need he has created us for out of his generosity and his goodness. And when we fall into chasing after greed, greed offers us control. Control against the hard truths of this world, the sin and brokenness that's around us, the sin and brokenness in ourselves. Now, we shouldn't take a passage like this and misconstrue it that we should never save money or plan for the future. The Bible is clear that faithfulness and stewardship, uh, that those are important pieces of them. But the line that we cross when greed drags us away and out of the heart of God is when these things become the source of life, not a feature. And the degree to which we believe that our life is secure because of our possessions or our wealth, because our belonging is secure, because of our relationships with others, because our, our esteem and significance is, because, uh, is secure because of our success, to those degrees we will become more anxious. We will lose the lightness, the freedom, the rest, the peace, and the joy that God alone can bring. Furthermore, Jesus challenges the rich farmer's source of joy. Because from Jesus' perspective, the farmer is not taking into account the true nature of reality, the true character of God. The character that says it's more blessed to give than to receive. You know, the Trinity is a hard concept to figure out and understand. That God can be three in one, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But one of the implications that God is this community of relationship is that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in perfect self-giving love to one another. 
giving of themselves to one another perfectly and having their needs met by one another perfectly. And it's out of this that God has created the world and created us to participate in that divine dance. The pleasure that this man enjoys is not in giving but in consuming not in participating in God's work of redemption, but enjoying the success that he's discovered. And what Jesus says is that rather than being rich towards God by giving generously back to the one who's given everything to him, the man is rich towards himself. Even the Greeks knew that being rich towards ourselves was a destructive habit to engage in. And that's why we have the myth of narcissists. Narcissist, who is a relatively attractive man, is wandering through the woods when he catches a glimpse of himself in a pool of water. And he becomes entranced by that vision of himself, fixated on it as time goes on, only to begin wasting away, becoming uglier and uglier, until he is emptied out and hollow a shell of himself. And we know that it was not just his beauty that he was obsessed with because when he became uglier and uglier, the power of gazing at himself would have been broken and he would have been set free. But he gazed and gazed until he became nothing because greed, emptiness is corrosive. It imprisons us. And enchants us to become obsessed with ourselves, to lose perspective. And Jesus presents this as far from living into the fullness of his life. You see, this parable here is not just about what to do with our money, but every parable is about the kingdom of God. The reality that Jesus has come and because of that the world is infinitely different. The kingdom is breaking in and we can be transformed and a part of that transforming work in the world around us. And God's invitation as he gives us that grace and that faith is to come and experience it more and more by partnering with him in giving to the work of renewal. To spend our money and our gifts, our time, our possessions, our talents, even our failures, our prisons, our pain, to offer all of these things back to him, to be rich and generous towards God. Eugene Peterson, a pastor and author, wrote a book called Run with the Horses where he recounts this story. He was walking in the woods one day and he saw a mother bird swooping and soaring around, gathering food for her young. And on this particular day, he got to see as the mother landed on the branch and decided that this was the day that these three younglings learned how to fly. So before he knew it, the mother had pushed one of the birds off. And somewhere between that branch and the pond below, it started flapping its wings, and soon it learned how to fly. The mother inched closer to the second one and repeated the same pattern, pushing it off. And somewhere before it hit the bottom, it flapped its wings and took off. And then by the time she got to the third youngling, it knew what was up. (laughs) So she pushed and she pushed. And he held on tighter. Finally, she pushed harder and 
And the bird swung around, grasping by its talons onto the branch. So then she began to peck at it harder and harder until the fear, until the pain of holding on was greater than the fear of letting go. And at this, the bird let go, pumped its wings, and took off in flight. In contemplating this experience, Peterson thought to himself, birds have feet and they can walk. They have talons and can hang on, but the characteristic activity of birds, what they were made for is flight. A bird that doesn't fly is a pitiful excuse for a bird like a dumb chicken (laughs) or a lazy ostrich. It's a lame excuse for a bird. And Peterson goes on to say, the characteristic activity of human beings made in the image of a generous God is giving. The characteristic activity is giving. We are called to give to our family and to our friends. We are called to give uh, to the church, the body of Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ. We are called to give to the world around us and we are even called to give to our enemies, to live a life apart from giving is to live a less than human life. To live a life apart from the generosity of God, the pleasure and security and joy that God alone provides for us is to settle for less. An application for this point is to consider in what ways are we rich towards ourself? In what ways are we rich towards God? Does our future planning, our retirement savings, our strategy at work, are these things in line with the kingdom or with earthly riches alone? Do we spend as much time thinking about the future ministry that God has equipped us for, the future sacrifices we can make, the generosity we can take on, Do we we face those things and think about them and do they mark our conversations as much as we think about the kingdoms of this world? Because God is inviting us in not just to be recipients of renewal, but to be agents of that renewal. To invest in a kingdom whose banks will never fail. Now most of this is probably just a reminder We know that greed is insidious, that it's deceptive, that you don't always know when you're falling into greed. We know that we are greedy in all kinds of different ways. We know we can recognize greed in others easier than we can see it in ourselves. We also know the hope and the promise of the gospel, that because God has given himself to us, we are called to give ourselves to others, to make investments not only in this culture, in this time, in this age, in this economy, but in the kingdom. But the most important thing we need to see in this passage is the ways that Jesus has been rich to us. In verse 20 it says, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? The New Testament is clear, and and the Psalms as well, that God has delighted to call us his treasure, his inheritance, his reward. 
For the joy that was set before him, Jesus suffered and gave it all. For the joy of binding himself to us, he empties himself. And the only way that we are going to treat greed with the seriousness that God offers here, the serious invitation to enter into that kingdom work that God has given us, if we grasp and understand how rich God has made us. You see, security and joy will still entice us. Finding these things in our success, our wealth, in others, in this world, and in this life, if that is the best that we can do, we will settle for it every time. But the hope and power of the gospel is that God has made us infinitely rich. And because of that, we can be infinitely rich towards him and towards others. You see, in order for God to get to us on that very night that he was betrayed and given up, Jesus paid the whole price, the whole cost. His life was being demanded so that he could restore and renew us and bring us into the fullness of his life, and he paid that price. Who then would experience all that he had, his wealth and possessions? And the answer is us. That we have been made co-heirs with Christ that his riches and his righteousness are ours, that his mission is ours. And if God has lavished such wealth and riches on us, then and only then can we find our way to be rich towards God as well. Amen.